We're going to be looking at how space warfighting architecture is set up. Another David Grush sit-down interview. Elena Danan does an interview on the Anunnaki, Maui, and assassination attempts. There's going to be some storm activity on Mars that we're going to be taking a look at. Super Earth has been discovered with an ocean and atmosphere. The Sol Foundation, much more about the NASA press conference on UAPs. NASA has appointed a UAP director of research on UAPs. We're going to be looking at the prospects of cooperation between China and the US in space. And finally, we're going to be looking at Tim Burchett's statement that the Inspector General for the Intelligence Community is engaged in a cover-up of UAPs. You're listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Well, welcome to the September 16 edition of ExoPolitics Today, the Week in Review. There's been quite a lot of developments this week, uh, which is not a great surprise. Uh, summer has officially ended as far as the US Congress is concerned, and they are back in session and things are happening. Indeed, there has been a lot that has happened this week. So let's begin uh, by going to my Twitter feed. And I uh, just want to start with a excellent overview of these metallic UFO spheres uh, that have been reported uh, by the director of the Arrow office, uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. And so in this article in, that was uh, published on The Hill, uh, there's evidence of these metallic UFOs going all the way back to the Second World War and how they interacted with uh, military aircraft, showing these high degrees of maneuver maneuverability, acceleration, and signs of intelligent control. So this phenomenon has been known for decades, uh, that these metallic orbs have been seen all over the Earth, going all the way back to the Second World War. And so for decades, the orb phenomenon was publicly dismissed, just ignored, like much of the UFO phenomenon in general, until Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick reported in May of this year that most of the 800 UFO reports studied by the Arrow office involved these small metallic spheres. So the obvious question is, why are these now considered a national security threat? I mean, these small metallic spheres have been around since the 1940s, so we're talking 80 years that these have been cited, and these were dismissed, but now, 80 years later, they're suddenly a national security threat. So what is going on there? I think uh, you know, this is part of the kind of predictive programming, I think, that we are seeing coming out of the Pentagon, out of uh, the national security system, getting people to look at the UFOs seriously, to switch from a mindset that, you know, these are ridiculous, I don't need to pay attention to the UFO phenomenon, to uh, UFOs are real, 
they're a national security threat. I need to take it seriously. So there's a, a kind of worldview. There's a, the, the ridicule factor has been psychologically ingrained in the American psyche since the 1950s uh, when the the when the Brookings report was sorry not the Brookings report uh, but the uh, Durant report was delivered uh, by the Robinson panel in 1952-53 that actually called for ridiculing uh, UFO flying saucer reports and that anyone discussing that uh, would be subjected to ridicule and dismissal from any official office. So that goes back to the 1950s. And so after 70 years of psychological warfare, because that's what it was, that was part of a psychological warfare program, after 70 years of that, to overturn that ingrained ridicule and dismissiveness and regarding uh, the UFO issue as part of this kind of tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, you need to shift public opinion. And that's what we're seeing. And it, and it's and it's taken some time. And so I think that's what we're witnessing right now. And you know, nothing, I mean, there can be some good that comes out of it, but I think we need to be very suspicious and on guard. So, so again, this article on, on the Hill, um, I recommend uh, taking a look at it because it really does do, do a good job in laying out uh, the history of these um, orbs and, yeah, the, the cryptic alien message that is part of this uh, reporting on orbs. So let's continue with my Twitter feed. So this was something I thought that was very interesting. This is an unclassified version of a space warfighting architecture that was put out on the Space Force website. And it, it kind of like, and I will have to just expand the screen for you so you can see that clearly. So here you have this war fighting domain. Oops, let's see, here we go. So here you have this war fighting, uh, space war fighting architecture. Uh, the, and it shows you the lines of command. You, you've got the Secretary of the Air Force, uh, top right, Secretary of, of Defense, and you've you've got uh, you've got the space operations here, and it goes on. You've got the United Space Space Command, which is very it's it's the pivotal aspect of this space warfighting architecture because the space opera, uh, space operations command it integrates all of these different uh, military services. Uh, we're talking about the, the, the Air Force. Uh, here you've got Chief of Space Operations. Here you've got Chief of, of the Air Force. Here you've got um, the, the, the other military services. Uh, you've got the, the Marines. Uh, you've got the Army. Uh, you've got um, uh, the Navy. The Navy is here as well and space operations. So the warfighting uh, architecture has Space Command being the pivotal because that reports directly to the Secretary of Defense and it integrates all of these other military services that report to Space Command for actual warfighting. So if 
any battles, any combat occurs in space, it's not going to be the chief of space operations or the chief of staff of the Air Force or the, or the, uh, the, 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 uh, the Army chief of staff and so forth. It's going to be the combatant commander for the United States Space Command who currently uh, that uh, person is uh, James Dickinson, and I believe he's going to be replaced very soon. Uh, there's just been a delay in his replacement. So uh, James Dickinson is about to be replaced, and uh, he is the one that is going to be in charge of military combat in space. Now, the question is, where do the secret space programs fit in? Uh, we've, I've talked about in uh, my secret space program book series, uh, the Solar Warden program. Uh, I've talked about Lunar Operations Command and or Radiant Guardian, another one of these deep space operations. Where do they fit in? Well, they, uh, as far as Solar Warden is concerned, that is under the Navy. Uh, naval uh, space warfare, they, they call it spar war. Uh, so, so the Navy has been in charge of the Solar Warden program. The covert branch of the Navy has been in charge of that. And for, for decades now, other military services like the Marines and the Army and the um, any, any personnel, military personnel from the Air Force, that have been part of Solar Warden would have been reporting to the hierarchy underneath the Naval Space Warfare Center. But now, with the creation of the United States Space Command, that was created in 2019 uh, in September by President Trump, and that is in charge of integrating all of the warfighting in space. So previous prior to that, it was uh, underneath uh, the naval spar war uh, space. Uh, they the navy would have integrated uh, a lot of this for the solar warden program. Uh, the air force, on the other hand, would have been in charge of the operations of air force space units. Uh, it was called uh, Air Force Space Command at that time, which is the predecessor of Space Force. That was in charge of ensuring the Earth and the cislunar region, which is the region between the Earth and uh, the Moon, that that was looked after. So the Navy under Solar Warden, Radiant Garden, would have been in charge of deep space operations. Yeah, we're talking Mars, we're talking Jupiter, we're talking uh, Neptune and beyond, the, the, the Kuiper Belt, for example. You would have Solar Warden patrolling that and Radiant Guardian was apparently was, was involved in the inner solar system. And then the Air Force, uh, Air Force Space Operations was in charge of the cislunar region, Earth and the Moon. Well, now with the creation of Space Command, so Space Command inherits everything that Air Force Space Command had, and it is gradually in the process of integrating, uh, actually much more quickly, it's integrating the different uh, 
secret space programs that were part of the Navy. So Solar Warden, Radiant Guardian, they are also now being integrated into the United States Space Command. So that's what's missing now. So this is a class, unclassified version that you get on the Space Force Domain uh, website. Uh, but I bet you that the un, uh, that the classified version of this would, would show where Solar Warden, uh, Lunar Operations Command, uh, the hub, that's also uh, something new that is being built uh, above Jupiter. That's going to become a major military and civilian trading center uh, in the future that is under current construction. That is happening as a result of cooperation uh, between uh, U.S. Space Command and uh, the Galactic Federation of Worlds and other extraterrestrial organizations that, that is being built. So the, the, cl the classified version uh, would, would have those elements in here. And so maybe at some point we will be lucky enough to witness this all becoming uh, declassified. So that's the space warfighting architecture. So now I will move uh, on from that. So let's continue. All right. So David Grush, he did a sit-down interview discussing what he learned about uh, UFO reverse engineering projects as a liaison to the Navy's um, UAP task force. Um, so this is just, uh, just his second sit-down interview. The first one he did with News Nation uh, with uh, Ross Coltart. And that was televised on news. Uh, that was uh, broadcast on News Nation, and we got to see, uh, I think, an hour or two of that. I think the whole thing lasted for seven hours, so an hour or so was uh, released on News Nation. So this is the second sit-down interview, and this is with a uh, someone, uh, uh, an individual that knows David Grush beforehand and is interested in UFOs. And so it's very interesting to watch their interaction. It's, it's really more about the, the context of, or the big picture of what's being covered up that you get to watch in this sit-down interview. It's not so much David Grush revealing new information. You're, you're presented the bigger context in which his presentation fits. Uh, the only thing missing, um, to my mind, is discussion of these secret space programs uh, that that I that I mentioned that are in existence and uh, you know when we talk about space uh, warfighting uh, architecture the secret space programs are a big part of that um, and and those are all a result of these reverse engineering projects so that's what's missing in this video but otherwise it's a very good uh, uh, gives you an over, overview of David Grush and you get to see uh, him in a kind of much more informal environment than in the News Nation interviews with Ross Coltart. Okay, so this was an interview I did that came out on Monday, September 11. Uh, that's an update with Elena Danan on the Anunnaki Maui assassination uh, on, on Maui, on, on what happened there and assassination attempts. So this this video. Uh, is where Elena Danan gives us an update on what's happening with the Anunnaki. And we're talking the, the positive faction of the Anunnaki that associated with uh, Enki, 
or his correct name is actually Ea. En Enki is the title. The Sumerians talked about Enki as the, the commander of Earth operations, and Enlil was the commander of space operations. He was the overall, uh, he was in charge of the space fleets, but Enki was in charge of Earth operations. That was the division of labor back in the days when the Anunnaki uh, were on Earth prior to the Great Flood. Um, and then when the Great Flood happened, he, uh, uh, Enki escaped. Uh, Enlil took over Earth operations and Enki returned back to his home world on the Nibiru mothership. So uh, Elena Denan describes some of that. And she gives Enki or Ia's explanation on what really happened with the Maui fires. Fires, and yes, yeah, she did. Uh, Ia did refer to the use of directed energy weapons, and uh, there was things that happened to these young little people. If you know what I mean, I you just have to be careful of the senses here. So, young little people, a lot of them disappeared. And where did they go? Well, Ia gave an answer to that, which corresponds with what we are seeing from a lot of public sources. There have been others that are re reporting this. And, of course, you know, the, the schools, there's a lot of missing young people from schools. And where are they? Reports of up to 2,000. So we get the perspective here of the uh, Ia and also Thorhan on what happened with the fires and the disappeared little people. Okay, so well worth watching. Uh, we had to put the full version on Rumble and BitChute rather than on YouTube because uh, of the sensitivity of that particular topic. But you can go to my website and and you can watch. You, you can watch the. You can go to the Rumble or the BitChute uh, versions of this video and watch the whole thing in its entirety. Okay, so, uh, okay, here's another thing from Elena Denant. She uh, got a communication from Thorhan Eredian, or actually from Jenhan Eredian, which is the brother of Thorhan, who's working on terraforming operations on Mars. The Galactic Federation has a terraforming operation, and they reported, or he reported, that, that at the moment Mars is experiencing very powerful storms. So this happens on Mars kind of on a regular basis. So this is one of these data points that can be corroborated. I mean, there's, um, yeah, there, when I was doing, uh, back in the day, doing political theory, there was a, uh, a scientist by the name of uh, Sir Karl Popper, and he, he came up with the falsifiability uh, theory, which is that, you know, any good scientific theory, uh, it's good as long as you can either corroborate it or falsify it. So here is something that can be corroborated or falsified, that on this date, September 11, uh, interesting synchronicity, September 11, uh, you, you have these storms, powerful storms occurring on Mars. So will we get data from the different uh, rovers up there or orbiters up above Mars confirming that there were major storms on Mars at this time period. So we will we'll keep a lookout for that. Okay, so now we go on. The James Webb Space to uh, Telescope um, is living up to its reputation for being able to detect extraterrestrial life on exoplanets. So here's a story on Earth.com. Uh, 
uh, where it on the earth.com story you have this super earth detected that has an ocean and an atmosphere that could support life so there you have the james webb space telescope providing detailed data on this distant exoplanet and saying that yep it's got an ocean and it has an atmosphere and so it could support life so you know we're getting closer and closer uh, and it also detected methane in the atmosphere, which uh, it can be artificially produced, but it can, but it's also produced through greenhouse gases or through artificial means suggestive of life. So right there, you have some uh, some telltale signs of uh, biosignatures. Um, so we do have data now coming in from the James Webb Space Telescope showing that... Um, there are exoplanets out there that have oceans, atmosphere, methane, and, um, and, and more biosignatures. So we can expect more data coming from the James Webb Telescope in the future. Okay, so here's an article about the Sol Foundation. So this is very interesting because uh, soon after... Uh, David Grush came forward with his original testimony on News Nation, and that got uh, printed in the debrief newspaper. Uh, people found out that David Grush was the uh, newly appointed uh, chief financial or chief operation, operations officer for the Seoul Foundation, uh, which was newly created. And, and now uh, the Seoul Foundation has been publicly announced, and it takes an interdisciplinary academic approach to UFOs. Uh, and David Grush is a part of that, but now he's a senior advisor rather than the chief operating officer. So, you know, this is just a, a new nonprofit organization, but it's focused on the UAP issue, which is very interesting. And it has officials from different disciplines taking an this kind of interdisciplinary academic approach. So, you know, the question here is, is it going to succeed in generating more uh, government transparency on UFOs? Or will it be something that is yet another example of gatekeeping? Because we're seeing a lot of gatekeeping happening now. Because now, after decades of silence and decades of ridicule and dismissal, Academics, professional journalists are paying attention. Now, they have a problem. The problem is that they're new to the field. They're newbies. They don't know the literature. They are not familiar with the, all the data that goes back to, the, back to the 40s. So they're taking a shortcut. And the shortcut is, well, you know, we're professionals. You know, we've, we've been, you know, writing articles for major newspapers. We've been part of the major newspapers, uh, major television network scene, or we've been involved in major think tanks or been involved in the CIA or major organizations for, for decades. So we're, we're going we're gonna to bring academic rigor or scientific rigor uh, to this new discipline of UAPs. And so, you know, to distinguish ourselves from the, tinfoil tin hat conspiracy theorists who, were, who, turn, who it turns out were right all along that this UFO issue was real, 
and it goes back to the 1940s, they're going to distinguish themselves from, from that crowd, including myself, by saying, well, you know, we're going to take, in, the, in terms of the Soul Foundation, they're going to take a it's an interdisciplinary academic approach where they have these top academics come in and what they're going to be doing is, is essentially a, a, a light form of gatekeeping. Well, I don't know if there is a light form of gatekeeping. They're going to be performing a, a gatekeeping exercise, saying that, well, yeah, this is this is acceptable uh, scientific data or rigorously uh, screened or filtered data showing that this UAP issue is is genuine. So they're going to apply those kinds of filters to that uh, data. So that'll be the sole foundation. Now, you know whether that means we're going to have uh, people looking well at, at just the UAP phenomenon. Uh, in the in the case of another nonprofit organisation, uh, the, the Galileo Foundation set up at Harvard University that's under the control of R.V. Loeb, Professor R.V. Loeb. Now that also is and it takes an interdisciplinary approach, but it's based in the astronomy department. And it and it's it's clearly a gatekeeping exercise, focusing purely on uh, UAP reports, uh, purely on generating scientifically rigorous data on UAPs that is gained through kind of calibrated instruments. We're talking about telescopes, you know, that kind of high level instrumentation, and and reporting on that and and and. So that's going to be the focus of the Galileo project. With the Sol Foundation, uh, they seem to be taking, they seem to be looking at it from a deeper perspective because they are very interested in data concerning reverse engineering projects of UAPs. And that's something that David Grush brings to the table with his expertise. And it seems that uh, they're going to be looking at coming up with data concerning these. Uh, retrieval operations concerning UAP. So that'll be uh, very interesting. Uh, still, it'll be a form of gatekeeping, gatekeeping, I believe, because you're going to have these people focusing on new data provided by these new whistleblowers like David Grush coming through Congress, reporting to Congress. They're going to be focusing on that level rather than looking at the data by, say, previous generations of whistleblowers, you know, people like, say, uh, Colonel Philip Corso or, or going even further back, you know, people like Phil Schneider or Clifford Stone and many others or like these, um, uh, Len Stringfield, who talked about, uh, who issued these uh, r reports on uh, crashed UFOs, situation reports, uh, going back into the 1980s. They're not going to be looking at any of that because they're not interested in that. What they're interested in is either UFO reports or whistleblower testimonies that are admitted or accepted by Congress as genuine. And so this is going to be, I think, the sort of approach that the Soul Foundation will take. So it'll be another form of gatekeeping, but... Um, at least I'll be looking at something that is an important step forward, which is these reverse engineering projects. So that's the Soul Foundation. Okay, so this was an article or 
written by an international attorney or lawyer uh, who examines the UAP Disclosure Act that has been incorporated into the National Defence Authorization Act for 2024, and, and that is currently uh, in process of being passed. Uh, the Senate has already passed it. Now it's up to the House to accept the UAP Disclosure Act as it currently stands in the non-disclosure, in, sorry, in the National Defence Authorization Act of 2024. So this is the international lawyers' um, article here. So we can just go to that uh, UFO disclosure: the most significant law in human history? Question mark. Uh, so this is an Indian international legal scholar, Ran Chakrabarti. And it's a very good article. It goes into the different provisions in the UAP Disclosure Act and examines them from the perspective of international law. So uh, you look at you know many different um, aspects of this um, act. And let me see if I can find one that might be of interest. Uh, well, eminent dom domain is discussed. In this, uh, yeah, it's, it's a quite a long article, so I won't try to go through that. It, it discusses eminent domain. It, it discusses how the different uh, committees are going to be uh, revealing this information and to whom, who has uh, access to this information, uh, the the role of the of the United States president in oversight. Uh, the, the review board that's going to be created under the National Archives, what kind of power it has, uh, wh who has actual custody of these retrieved uh, UFOs that are in the possession of different corporations. Will it be the government? Will it be corporations? Uh, yeah, what, what are the legal issues concerning these, given that the corporations probably got possession because, uh, the say, there was a... Uh, say, a organisation that was part of the Air Force. We're talking, say, Project Moondust or Project Bluefly, uh, which was a crash retrieval operation run by the Air Force that would have retrieved these craft from around the world. It would have been taken to places like Wright-Patterson Air Force Base first for initial study. Then Wright-Patterson would have uh, uh, siphoned it off to a corporation like Lockheed Martin or Northrop Grumman or or Raytheon, uh, to look at different aspects of it, you know, the different aspects of that crest-retrieved uh, craft. So who owns it? Uh, you know, given that uh, the Air Force retrieved it or maybe the Navy retrieved it and handed it off, ha eventually handed it off to um, a, a, a corporation or aspects or artifacts from that crashed craft were handed off to the Air Force or, or to a corporation working with the Air Force or the Navy. And so now the legal issue is who owns it? If Congress asserts eminent domain, does the corporation own it? Or is it still the property of the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Air Force who originally recovered it and then handed it off to a corporation for study in reverse engineering? And, and who owns the, the products of that? So all significant legal issues, and this article does a very good job in and looking at that. So I recommend that uh, article. Uh, now uh, we look at this uh, recent, on September 13, you had 
that was a uh, on Wednesday, I believe, or Tuesday. The unveiling of the on Tuesday, on Tuesday, September twelfth. That's when uh, the Mexican Congress had a session where there were a number of UFO researchers that presented data concerning the existence of UFOs. So uh, there were some people there uh, that uh, that presented. Uh, Jaime Musson is a Mexican UFO researcher, and he was the one that unveiled uh, these alien dummies, or sorry, alien alien mummies. Uh, these two alien mummies. So there's a uh, two and a half minute video. So what I'll do is I'll play that. I can just talk over it as it's playing. So let me start playing that for you. So here we go. You can you can have. So the Mexico Congress reveals this, these um, new specimens, these thousand-year-old corpses that were displayed. These corpses were, these mummies were not are not new. They were first found in 2017, and Song and Gaia TV got involved in the analysis of these. And they provided the, the funding for uh, different scientists to conduct um, an, an examination of these mummies. And the different scientific studies showed that these mummies uh, were old, a thousand years old. They found that the mummies were non-human. You had three fingers. Uh, different parts of the anatomy were, were not consistent with humans. This appeared to be a, a new type of, uh, of human or different species of human. Uh, Jaime Musson, uh, he, was, he was the leader of this investigation. Um, and so he's been investigating the, the phenomenon for, for decades. So these uh, mummies were originally recovered from a, a mine in, in Peru. Uh, there were originally five mummies that were discovered, but here they have two on display, and various scientists have studied these and, and said, yes, this is definitely a non-human species, something that we haven't seen before, and, and one of the, the mummies uh, had what appeared to be a reptilian embryo in it, Lou, I think that was uh, Maria, that, and here you see the elongated skull uh, for, this, for this mummy. So very spectacular. Ryan Graves, uh, he uh, he was uh, participating. I think it was some kind of uh, live stream with him, uh, Zoom, uh, as did Arby Loeb also participate again through Zoom. So this is a very important development because even even though even even though this has been around since uh, 2017. For the first time, you have government authorities looking at this and taking it seriously. And, and no doubt uh, the Mexican Congress is looking at, at what's happened in, in the United States. And um, I'm, no, no, I'm sure they're probably saying, well, if the gringos can do it, can do a UFO disclosure through their Congress, we can do it better. So let's do it the Mexican way. So ooh la la, and off we go. And uh, and so yeah, you have you have um, a, a little bit of razzle dazzle there with that uh, presentation, but certainly uh, 
there, there is solid scientific data that these are non-human mummies, a thousand years old, that some evidence of a reptilian connection to these. You have the elongated skulls. So, you know, this could be, uh, it, it did, it was pointed out that these were found in a mine in Cusco. This was not retrieved from a crash retrieval operation. There have been bodies recovered from crash retrievals, but this is not an example of one of those. So, um, you know, as you know, I've been uh, interviewing a active army whistleblower who has been reporting on his meetings with underground civilizations. He's talked about an ant people. So we can imagine uh, that this would be an example. This would be corroboration of the existence in, in such um, beings. But definitely uh, uh, Mexico is getting involved in the disclosure business, and that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, Mexico can be very forthcoming in that. So here's an interview I did with uh, Danny Henderson that came out on Thursday, September 14. So uh, Danny Henderson, uh, she has uh, her, her own YouTube channel, and she recently came out with a book uh, called Angels, Demons, and Aliens. And she's, she's a, a lifelong contactee. She has been having contact experiences with extraterrestrials as well as other beings because she's a, a natural clairvoyant, clairsentient, and she could see and communicate with the, with different beings from very early on. And inter interestingly, she had her first extraterrestrial contact when she was only a few months old in the crib, and she recognized the being. Uh, she saw the being, and later on, she recognized that as being uh, the very same being that Elena Danan had contact with, with which is uh, Anax, uh, who is um, one of these extraterrestrials that are part of the, the Council of Five, as reported uh, by Elena. So she has had a lifetime of contact with these different beings. Uh, she has interacted with these angelic beings or entities, uh, demonic entities and aliens. And and I think this is a very important interview uh, because you know, there are a lot of Christians who are now becoming interested in this phenomenon. And many of them associate extraterrestrials almost instinctively because of indoctrination. They associate extraterrestrials with, with demons and it's very important that they understand that there are different categories of beings here, that there are, there are angelic beings, high dimensional beings that are uh, operating in very high dimensions. Some people might call them um, celestials, ultra terrestrials, uh, or angelics. Uh, there are demons, demonic entities uh, as well. Um, some people might call them the fallen angels, the watchers, um, there are beings like that as well. And there are extraterrestrials, um, extraterrestrials that have ships, that have spacecraft, metallic spacecraft or organic spacecraft that fly around. And we need to start educating ourselves that these are all different groups. And, and if you start to generalize any kind of phenomenon as demonic, just because it doesn't fit into your 
say, a biblical framework, then you're going to be making mistakes and you don't want to do that. So I think Danny Henderson does a good job in presenting these different groups of beings. She's a natural psychic and so uh, well worth watching that interview. And she's also the organizer for the Galactic Spiritual Informers uh, Connection Conference that's going to be held from October 20 to October 22nd in Orlando, Florida. So you can go to galacticspiritualinformers.com to find out more about it. I'll be presenting. That'll be my only conference presentation for 2023. I'm doing that intentionally just to do one conference presentation a year at the moment. Um, So I'll be there and others will be there. Elena Denan will be there. Uh, Jean-Charles Moyen will be there and others, uh, excellent speakers. So definitely worth going to if you can make it to Orlando. So next we are going to be looking at uh, this uh, interview that Elena Denan and Danny Henderson did on the Nibiru Mothership. Now this is a fascinating interview. You get to see or get to hear what is on on the inside of this mothership. Whoops, here we go. Let's see if I can go back to the beginning. Okay, so that's that's the the interview uh, between Elena Danan and Danny Henderson, where they get to discuss this. Nibiru mothership, uh, Elena was taken up there. She gets to give an eyewitness account of what it's like up there. She's given a tour by some uh, different entities that are on this mothership. And it's a fascinating, fascinating interview uh, because we get to hear just what is inside this very large, I think it's about the size of the moon, and it's parked outside of Jupiter at the moment. So it is the Nibiru mothership, and it's associated with the initial colonization, the initial Anunnaki colonization of Earth. And that's very interesting because uh, in terms of dates, roughly 400, 500,000 years ago, the Nibiru mothership that was controlled by Enki arrived in our solar system. But the space fleet associated with that mothership was under the command of Enki. Kind of like similar how similar to how on modern day aircraft carriers you have the you have a navy captain in char- in charge of the aircraft carrier, but then you have what's called uh, a CAG, which is typically a uh, a navy captain or a marine colonel, full bird colonel in charge of who is the commander of the air group. And they, they are in charge of the squadrons. So, so Enlil, Enlil was in charge of the squadrons, the military squadrons, not Enki. I, I may have misspoken there. So Enlil was in charge of the military squadrons. So he was like the, the CAG on a aircraft carrier, whereas Enki was in charge of the ship of Nibiru. And so when they arrived on Earth, the Nibiru was a science vessel, but also it was it carried the the entire. Anunnaki space fleet that then disembarked and took control of our solar system. So that so that tells you just how big the, the Nibiru is. So fascinating interview uh, and a lot more uh, to come on that. 
Right. So now we go to the NASA report, the Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Independent Study Team report by, by NASA. So this was the, the, a report released by a, uh, a, a number of scientists. Uh, the, uh, and this report, and here you have the list of scientists and you know, quite an extensive list, again, an interdisciplinary list. But what it boiled down to was essentially that uh, the UAP issue is very real. What is needed is better and improved scientific detection techniques. That's it. That, that NASA is saying that it can provide its superior grade technical detection instruments for studying UAPs and that NASA is now making a commitment to providing its technical expertise and its scientific know-how to, be, to better understand and study the UFO phenomenon. So they're very interested in the phenomenology of UFOs. They're just interested in the hardware. They are by no means interested in questions concerning the origins, the occupants, how these were built, which corporations built them. You know, that's way beyond uh, what NASA is prepared to do. They're, they're, they're just saying that we are going to provide scientific detection tools for studying this phenomenon. So, so that's uh, the, 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 the NASA uh, uh, re report. Not not very exciting, uh, but we didn't expect it. Uh, I, I think it, it is um, just one more example of the gatekeeping we are witnessing right now. That uh, you have uh, scientific organisations, you have uh, organisations like the Pentagon that that have do, that have done a complete one hundred and eighty. That's what it is—a complete one hundred and eighty. After decades of dismissing the UFO phenomenon as as conspiracy theory and nonsense. Now they're saying it's very real. It's a genuine national security threat. We need to study it seriously. And, oh, by the, by the way, those people who 50, 60 years ago were saying that this was a real phenomenon and we called them tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists, well, you know, now that same group of people, they're dangerous because they are going to, they are going to compromise the quality of the data by bringing in these ridiculous conspiracy theories. So no no thanks. No thank you that, you know, we held the torch while you guys were sleeping through all this. No, no, now they're, they're saying we're, we're in charge. The adults are in charge now. You you go away. You, you're just troublesome teenagers. Go away. So that's kind of pretty much what's happening right now. Okay, so um, uh, NASA Administrator Bill Ness Nelson at a press conference discussing uh, the actions NASA is going to be taken with the release of its uh, UAP independent report. So it, it, Bill Nelson says that uh, they are creating a NASA director of UAP research. So NASA will have someone who will be appointed to take this lead role in directing UAP research from, from NASA and who will work closely with the Aldermain Anomaly Resolution Office director, who is Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick. So this individual, this new NASA 
Director of UIP Research, will be working with Dr. Kirkpatrick. And I think essentially what they'll be doing is focusing on making studies of UFO reports something that conforms with a very high standard scientific study, thereby screening out all of the reports, witness testimonies, whistleblower reports of UFOs being built at these various underground facilities by corporations or that these belong to secret space programs, that all of that is going to be considered to be tinfoil hat conspiracy theory and that these people will be gatekeepers. And NASA is now going to be, has set up its own gatekeeping mechanism. In addition to the Pentagon's Arrow office, now there will be a NASA gatekeeping uh, uh, individual um, involved. And and I'll mention that individual very shortly. So here's something that I found quite surprising. Uh, Nick Pope, who I've met quite a few times, and uh, he's got a very interesting background. He worked with the uh, Britain's Ministry of Defence for over 20 years. So he retired after uh, more than two decades of service with the uh, Ministry of Defence. And for three years, he headed Britain's uh, UFO desk or the Ministry of Defence's UFO desk. So he was the person doing the reports and looking at these reports of UFOs. And so he knew very well uh, that uh, the there are lots of these reports, hundreds of reports of these, and that uh, some of these are very significant and they involve witnesses, highly, re- highly reliable witnesses, pilots and so forth, radar technicians reporting on UFOs. Now, and so that made it very surprising to me when he endorsed this uh, NASA UAP report saying that, oh, okay, so NASA bringing its scientific resources, capability and expertise to bear on the UAP issue should significantly help the wider US government research and investigation into the phenomenon. And and the thing is, you know, Nick Pope, better than anyone, knows that there is a cover-up underway, that the cover-up has been going on for decades. And he has spoken about that in the past. But now, all of a sudden, he's saying, well, this is actually a good thing that NASA is going to come in and, and, be, and become part of this effort to study uh, UFOs. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I think for people who have been around this phenomenon for, for decades, like Nick Pope, I think they need to do better than just saying, well, we need superior scientific instruments for detecting, measuring and providing evidence of UFOs, that what we need to start doing is calling a spade a spade, which is saying that there is a cover-up here. So I think uh, you know, he really needs to step out a little bit more and, and speak truth to that, because I know he is very well aware of this cover-up. Okay, so here's a, a tweet, or what do you call it now, an X I think pretty soon I'm going to start having to call this uh, my X, my X uh, report, my weekly, my week in review using my X uh, reports. Uh, so here, Anna Paulina Luna, who is one, who is a member 
of the House of Representatives in the U.S. Congress. So she just tweeted out that she just got word that there will not be a UAP select committee. There were rumours that uh, Congress was going to get a select committee. They, they were able to get a caucus. I reported on that in my week in review last week, that there is a UAP caucus in the U.S. Congress, and Anna Luna is a part of that. Uh, there are six members of that UAP caucus, and they lobbied uh, the leadership of the House of Representatives uh, for a, a committee, a, a select committee on UAPs. Uh, but that was turned down. However, they did get a commitment that there would be another UAP hearing. So in July 26, you had that first UAP hearing with David Grush and the two other uh, David Graves and uh, sorry, David Fravor and uh, Ryan Graves that talked about UFO sightings or, as in the case of, of um, uh, David Grush, uh, the reverse engineering of UFOs that were being conducted. In the next UFO hearing, hopefully we get to learn more about that. Now, the, the Congress is actively trying to get a skiff facility so that David Grush can reveal more uh, about the 40 witnesses or 40 insiders that he is familiar with that are knowledgeable about these reverse engineering programs and what, where those programs are located. So the Congress is still trying to get that. So hopefully by the next uh, time they have a committee meeting on the UAP issue, uh, there'll be other whistleblowers coming forward, other people willing to come forward and to talk to Congress about this. So uh, we'll, we'll just see. Okay, so, okay, now here was a very interesting development. So... I mentioned the press conference that uh, NASA uh, organized that the um, NASA administrator, uh, Bill Nelson, spoke at and where he uh, mentioned that, they, that NASA would be setting up a director of uh, UAP research, uh, but didn't name him. Um, and that then they changed their mind. NASA changed their mind. I guess there was some backlash to that, and they did name the director. And so this director is uh, Mark Mark McInerney. So Mark McInerney is uh, now the the new director of uh, the UAP uh, studies in uh, in NASA. So he's going to be the point man. And what I found very interesting about his background is that he was NASA's liaison to the uh, Department of Defense's uh, UAP study groups. So, and those study groups concerned UAP activities. So he was involved as a liaison to that organization. And that was very similar to David Grush, who, had, who held similar positions as liaison uh, for the NRO, and the National Geospatial Agency. So David Grush got to hear about these reverse engineering programs, so that makes us wonder, does Mark McInerney, does he also know about these reverse engineering programs? And I suspect he does, 
but his job is to also be, as I mentioned, a gatekeeper. That the job of NASA at the moment is to just direct the general public down this path of like UAPs are real, they're a national security threat, we need better instrumentation to study them so that we can know what they are and where they come from. And, and of course, you know, that's nonsense. It's known very well where they come from. I mean, they're, they're, they are extraterrestrial in origin, many of them. Some of them, or many of them now, are reverse-engineered spacecraft that are part of these secret space programs that are being run by different organizations and corporations because the corporations built these spacecraft for Space Force, for the U.S. Navy, for Solar Warden, for the Space Command. So, um, okay, so now I'm going to look at uh, some of uh, the, the latest developments concerning China. So here we have uh, China. Uh, there's a uh, there's an article about the prospects of space cooperation between China and the United States being very dim. Okay, looks like I'm my website. Is, oh, here we go. Okay, so this is space war. So will Sino-US space competition stop at Mars? So right now, uh, the US and China are, are not cooperating in space. That, and there's reasons for that. The US is withholding high tech from China because of China's intellectual property theft and China not being willing to take action to prevent that. And, um, and so China is outside of the frameworks of agreements that the US has set up for space cooperation. Uh, the Artemis Accords, I, I believe the number is now 28 nations have, have ratified or have signed the Artemis Accords and there are different steps of the, of the ratification process. So uh, the US is cultivating cooperation with the space programs of many nations, but China is not included. And uh, China is competing with the United States in space. China is setting up its own space navy. I, I wrote a book called Rise of the Red Dragon, uh, uh, China's Secret Space Programs, uh, Origins and History, where I go into the history of China's secret space program. And, and China is building something to rival the Solar Warden program because China has a lot of ancient technologies hidden throughout China's um, vast territory. China is a very big country. It has ancient pyramids there with a lot of ancient technologies that date back to the Atlantean era, to the era of Mu. And what China has done is, is said, oh, these don't exist. We are going to look at these. We're going to examine these. And, and China has a, a kind of very, does have, have some cooperation uh, with the US in terms of understanding these ancient technologies, but not to the extent that the US would like. So the China, China and the US are competing in space. And that could lead to, cooper, uh, to um, conflict. And of course, what, what happens as the moon is colonized, 
what happens as Mars is colonised. All, all these different countries try to establish colonies on the moon and on Mars, you know, in terms of China-US um, co cooperation. Well, here is something that I, I thought was very interesting. Uh, in terms of the lack of cooperation between China and the United States, when I did a communication with Thorhan Eregian that was relayed through Elena Danam, he commented about China refusing to cooperate with uh, the Earth Alliance and with Space Command, that China has chosen to go its own way in developing its own space navy. And so right now, right now in space, uh, you, you have this kind of like deepening international cooperation involving Space Command and all the nations that are part of the Artemis Accords cooperating in space, in deep space operations, and the U.S. is playing a leadership role. The U.S. is the undisputed leader. It is the Artemis Accords are, are, like, are like a bicycle wheel. The, 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 the hub is the United States, um, is the United States, uh, NASA and Space Command, is the hub of space cooperation and of the Artemis Accords. The spokes, at the moment, there's 28 spokes, each one representing one nation. So these are bilateral agreements between the United States and 27 other nations. So that's that's how the Artemis Accords is set up. And China has chosen to not be a part of that. And, and that's a worrying trend. China is working closely with the deep state, and Thorhan identifies that. And you can you can listen to the interview if you go to go to my website. You can you can either listen to the interview or if you scroll down, here's the transcript, and you can listen. You can listen to it or you can uh, um, read the transcript, and it's very clear that China is collaborating with the remnants of the deep state, and um, it is wanting to go its own way and you know that is inevitably going to lead i think to conflict um uh, that's unfortunate but uh, that's where it's it's going and uh so here's a report of a new chinese military military facility set up to manage china's situational awareness in space so this is an, a new base um that that has been set up in china it's called Base 37, and it is part of the People's Liberation Army, and it is going to manage China's assets in space and kind of map out what China has in space, what U.S. Space Command has in space, so that if push comes to shove, China will be ready for that. So Base 37. So China is is very much preparing itself. So here is a, here's the story in Space News. China's military sets up a new base for space domain awareness. Um, and, yes, yeah, so it describes the, the, this particular unit, which is the equivalent of, of, of Space Force or Space Command for China, uh, the People's Liberation Army's Strategic Support Force. So that is what they call their Space Force or their Space Command. And so that is what is overseeing China's assets in space and mapping out uh, 
China's potential threats and targets in space. So, yep, China and the United States are going separate paths in space, and that's not a good thing. But that is the reality. Right, so now in here's uh, my final uh, tweet, or X, is uh, uh, Representative Tim Burchett. I, I think he is absolutely correct. He wrote to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, and, and here you have uh, uh, letters that he wrote uh, to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community and letters... And a, and a letter that was written back to to the rep, to the six representatives that are part of this uh, House of Representatives uh, UAP caucus. The Intelligence Community Inspector General wrote back. So that's the letter. So you can go to my uh, Twitter feed or my X feed to to read those letters. And what I admire about uh, Tim Burchett is that. He identifies the key problem here is that you know this is a cover-up that the there are organizations within the bureaucracy, and he identifies the inspector general of the intelligence community as part of a cover-up now. That that is the problem. That uh, these members of Congress are pushing the envelope in terms of getting official acknowledgement that there are these reverse engineering programs of recovered extraterrestrial spacecraft that are existing, that do exist, and, and to get that out there. So they're pushing the envelope to get that out, and they are saying there's a cover-up because that is what they have told. Now, uh, as, as far... And they've also been told that these are non-human, that this involves also the recovery of non-human biological material or extraterrestrial uh, biology. So this is the correct approach to take, I think, because it really is uh, all about, you know, lies on the ground rather than, so, so uh, lies on the ground rather than lights in the sky, which is uh, a way of describing how you have some agencies focusing on lights in the sky, the UAP phenomenon, that's what I referring to earlier in terms of uh, what NASA is doing with its new UAP study group, what is happening with the Arrow uh, organization that was set up in the Department of Defense. They're just, they're just focusing on UFOs. They're just focusing on lights in the skies. And they're like, nah, we're not, we're not getting into this conspiracy theory you know, lies on the ground. But that's what uh, Tim Burchett and the other members of the House of Representatives are doing. And so that's good. They're, they're, they're going to, I think, ultimately succeed in getting this information out and they'll be rightly acknowledged as heroes. Now, I, I think that that's the start of the process. It's by no means the end of the process. There are deeper levels of the onion uh, to be uncovered uh, because uh, while I think what David Grush and other whistleblowers have revealed about these uh, reverse engineering programs occurring in these government laboratories, what they've revealed is that, yes, these programs exist, that they are recovered extraterrestrial spacecraft, uh, but they say that these programs have been unsuccessful in reverse engineering, whereas the truth is that these programs have been successful. 
So, you know, that's going to be something that will be revealed later on. And then you go deeper down the rabbit hole, or if you peel the onion uh, a little more, you're going to get to the next layer, which is uh, the agreements, secret agreements, and cooperation with different extraterrestrial civilizations. So that's where we get to talk about Lunar Operations Command, the secret space program, Solar Warden, the hub on Jupiter, and so forth. So uh, there is a lot more to be revealed, but I think this is an important step in the future. I think uh, uh, this uh, UAP caucus in the House of Representatives with um, uh, Tim Burchette, uh, Representative uh, Luna, uh, the, they are taking the right approach of, of pressuring the uh, bureaucracy to reveal the truth. And, and once the UAP uh, Act is released in once that's passed, once that becomes law in 2024, Congress will be empowered to take charge of this. And I think this is what we're seeing now. So I want to finish up by just announcing again uh, the uh, my next webinar, which is going to be on September 30. That's going to be on from uh, UFO crash retrievals to present-day secret space programs. It's a four-hour webinar, uh, not a two-hour, so it's, it's going to be double the, the length of my earlier webinars, and that was because I decided that that was the only way I could cover this vast amount of information uh, about these crash retrieval operations to present-day secret space programs, not only in the United States, but also in other Five Eyes countries like um, Australia, and also to look at places like China, what they've been doing, uh, and Russia, the Soviet Union, uh, what they have done in terms of crash retrievals to secret space programs and where we are today. So it's presenting a lot of information in a four-hour presentation. So I hope you can join me. Uh, you can go to uh, exopolitics.org to see the links and to register. So again, thank you for watching uh, this week. Uh, the week in review for Exopolitics Today. I look forward to seeing you again next week. You have been listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com. Thank you.